This talk was given by Ron Hogan Green Sensei and Jody Hogan Kimmel Sensei at the Zen Center of New York City. Hogan Sensei is a lay teacher in the Mountains and Rivers Order and co-director of ZCNYC. Hojin Sensei is a resident teacher at Zen Mountain Monastery and co-director of ZCNYC. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. If you'd like to make a donation or find out more about the temple's retreats and residency programs, please visit our website at zmm.org ZCNYC. Thanks for listening. Welcome, and welcome to those of you who are here for the first time and to our great Sangha in the city. It's wonderful to be here with you um, to open what's called Ango. Uh, for those of you who um, are new to this, uh, it's translated as An is a dwelling or a hermitage, and Ango is a peaceful dwelling. So that's the way we'll think about <clears throat> these next 90 days, both um, coming here to the temple, uh, being within our own embodiment. What is it to be a peaceful dwelling? How do we create that for ourselves, for others that we come in contact with, for this planet? Um, it goes. The practice goes back to the time of the Buddha, where it was the uh, many practitioners were gathered around him in India, and for most of the year, he would send out his disciples to go to different um, areas to work with people in their villages, usually in the forest, uh, among the trees, and then the rainy season would come, the monsoon season, where the traveling was prohibited. And everyone would gather in one place around the Buddha. What an exciting time. Like a university uh, would form, an outdoor university in the parks with tents and no travel. And so uh, from all the traveling, the, the disciples would bring back what they learned into one place and the teachings would be intensified uh, with the Buddha. So we um, recreate that in our way in the Mountains and Rivers training. Uh, twice a year, we create this peaceful dwelling where we kind of replicate um, an intensification, which doesn't mean um, we freak out. <laughs> Intensify doesn't mean get anxious. It just means we, we focus. We focus on what we've always been practicing all, th- all through our life, all through our training, and we bring into the light a, a, a specific aspect of training to work deeply into together, something that we've always been part of. And this year, we usually pick a theme, and this year, Roshi um, came up very quickly for him that we would study the Buddha ancestors. Who are the ancestors of awakened mind? How do they, how do we relate to them? What do they have to do with our life? What do our, even our genetic ancestors 
um, have to do with how we're living now. Um, all this is part of it. And what this, where this theme came up from was that um, in October, Shugen uh, Roshi and myself and a few other Sangha members, eight from um, United States and eight from New Zealand, will be doing a, a pilgrimage of the Buddha's teachings um, in October. We're leaving in October, which is coming soon. And um, so we thought it would be great uh, thread that as we're studying there to bring that back in um, as, as the rest of the Sanghas is studying here, the ancestors. So this theme of peaceful dwelling and the, um, the body of peace that the ancestors came in contact with is what the essence of this ango is about. Um, we'll talk a little bit in this opening about uh, lineage, the role of the Buddha, this oceanic gathering to practice and um, bring this into our forms, our many forms that we have, how we can um, work with the ancestors. Um, Hogan Sensei and I have been talking about this, but this is the first time we are meeting. It's a living uh, process for us today. We're rehearsing as we're going. <laughs> um, often in life, as we know, there are no rehearsals. Um, it's happening. No dress rehearsals. Um, we have to. We have to be um, awake and alive to respond often. So, if you want to pick up from there, and we'll go back. Do you want to do the entering? Yes. Okay. So, at the monastery, we entered formally um, last week, and some of you I see were there for that. And what we like to do is actually announce the names of everyone who uh, formally signed um, to participate. Um, if you don't hear your name, don't. It, it means that you came in late, and it may not be on this list. So we'll be happy to add you. I see a few of you here that I just remember from seeing it on my email just before it was coming down. So um, we'll include you if you weren't named today. Uh, that, that will happen. So we'll, we'll read each name. We have two readers. And, um, and the rest of you can enter in your, in, as well, in your, in, in your own way. Um, it's open to everyone to participate in whatever way you, you can. So first, we'll read the commitment. We come here realizing... The question of life and death is a vital matter. I'll wait until they get the list. Okay. We come here realizing the question of life and death is a vital matter. We dedicate ourselves to wholeheartedly practicing this fall ango of the mountains and rivers order. We understand the guidelines for this training intensive and assume full responsibility for observing them. Please guide us in our practice. The following practitioners have made a commitment to train in this fall longo. 
Seiju Nevins, Donna Nicolino. Andrea Nieves, Usha Nolan. Hoshu Norris, Toshu O'Brien. Costanza Onatnea, Tasha Orbach. Vera Ozeronski, Riley Packer. Daishin Patnod, Lee Pearson. Hobai Pecker Kick, Sam Pigott. Marco Pojo, Lou Pecorino. Ian Proctor, Sirius Rayek. Choco Reese, Marie Ringo. Eve Rahm, Shiju Rogers. Jonathan Rosenthal, Vito Salerno. Sarah Sands, Christopher Separita. Sergei Shmakov, Yuko Schnadow. Gloria Schofield, Tose Schulman. Paise <coughs> Schultzman, Yosha Scott Childress. Chokushu Sengas, Myojo Shifton. Mika Sharoda, Stephen Sigalski. Sege Spark, Fuyu Spiker. Adam Starrett, Jimmy Stone. Deanna Strablo, Mark Taylor. Takuse Twitchell, Thomas Twist. Christopher Tyler, Tokuse Van Sickle. Lindsay Van Wagnen, Christopher Varga. Josue Vasan, Hikan Vasan. Shukay Walker, Craig Webster. Jeanne Wirtz, Nolan Wilder. Sam Wilder, Greg Witkowski. Joshin Woodhouse, Scrap Wren. Ben Ehrlich. So Zen is an ancestral lineage, and it's maintained through the humanness, your humanness, our humanness, collectively, and through the transmission of that humanness from generation to generation. That's the awakening. Zen is about awakening, meaning realizing yourself and awakening to who you are. And that's what's been transmitted from ancestor to ancestor, some of them known and acknowledged, others less so. But it's why you're here today. So I want to cover as briefly as I can, yet with the heart of it, what uh, Shugen Roshi covered last week. And so um, this, what I'm about to say is, is, to some extent, his words as well, translated through my understanding. Um, because it's important that we be on the same page. But I do want to say that probably the single most important thing is for you to listen to his talk, which is extraordinarily powerful and direct, and which is online, and which communicates in a way that's, I think, unmistakable. Um, So uh, I'm going to mix what he directly said with my understanding of it and my own words and just let it go at that. Uh, So we can speak of temples and monasteries and centers, but it's all about human beings. That's what it comes down to. And human beings come down to you, specifically you. We had a workshop yesterday on karma, the effects of what you do, which is what your life is. And so the effects of practice are both unknown and limitless. And they echo through time and space. And so, you know, what's the importance of lineage to us? Why do we chant the names of the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas, which we do every Sunday? 
which we do in an abbreviated form, every service, every day of practice? Why do we chant the, the formal lineage of the male ancestors and the female ancestors? Why do we chant, when we do orioki, take a meal formally, the names of the Buddhas? What's the importance of these in our practice? How can we appreciate that? Which is really the question, how can we appreciate that? Dogen said the Buddhas and ancestors manifest before our very eyes whenever we respectfully serve the Buddhas and ancestors by bringing them up through seeing into and understanding their story. They're not limited simply to the past or present or future. They have undoubtedly gone beyond even going beyond beyond Buddha, which is a term that means within their practice, they've let go of their awakening. They've gone beyond that. Having made evident the spiritual virtues of a Buddha or an ancestor, having held them aloft, we bow and meet them, and then we take our abode in them and uphold them and embody them so that we may realize for ourselves the truth that they've realized. And this this is the practice, that their realization becomes our realization. In the first koan, in Muman's koan mu, which many of you have heard of. Heard of. It's, it's a fundamental koan. Muman says, when you see Mu, you will see Joshu, who is the master who asked what is, what is Mu, basically. You will see Joshu face to face, traveling hand in hand with the success of ancestors. In other words, you will see what he saw. Your eyebrows intertangling with theirs, seeing with the same eyes, hearing with the same ears. Now, mind can't really grasp this. We, we can't identify this way from an intellectual perspective. So something deeper than that is being offered. And thus we do our bows and we offer incense. And we begin through our practice to realize slowly but surely, because of the Buddhas and ancestors, we too can realize there's nothing outside of your, our, my body and mind. And that's the point, that we could not practice without their efforts. And their efforts are remarkable. I was also just thinking of Hojin Sensei's efforts to be here this morning, <laughs> uh, if you'll allow me to. Uh, we just had a Zen training weekend at the monastery. Uh, and from last weekend, Ango opening, and many other things going on through that weekend, some of which we'll briefly touch on today, and uh, through the week. And then this morning, she got up early this morning, jumped on a bus and zoomed sometimes with detours down here to arrive here. Um, This is what it's about. Doing what you have to do to awaken to your own nature and to offer that to others. This entire practice is about liberation. It's to cultivate a reverence and respect and a faith that is alive that is yours. It doesn't belong to somebody else. It's not about somebody else. And we have to learn how to have reverence for others. And in learning how to have reverence for others, we learn to have reverence for everything. Because what we're learning, and I say this as Dharma words, but what we're learning is there are no others. That we're intimate with 
our being is intimate with all beings, with all things, sentient and insentient. That's what we're learning. But it's not a given. It's not something you grasp. It's not something you get. It's a, it is who you are, and our work is to uncover that. And so one way of uncovering that is with ango practice, because ango practice, as Hojin Sensei said, focuses us in a particular way, which is helpful to see what that way offers us. So in our focus, in our respect for the Buddhas and ancestors, it's not based on ideas, but comes from, from a genuine sense of gratitude and respect, which we cultivate. You may not start off with that, but we cultivate it. I mean, what do we start off with when we enter Zen practice? We start off with our delusions, and that's enough. That's enough to enter. Uh, and so we work with where we are, and we cultivate. It's, it's what we're cultivating takes us beyond our own personal happiness. And there's nothing wrong with personal happiness. But the way we go about getting our personal happiness usually is a zero-sum game, meaning it excludes other people's personal happiness. And that's kind of built into our society, that the resources and the way that we go about living our life means others do not get them. The Buddha realized that all beings are interconnected, more than interconnected. And that if we really deeply want personal happiness, we have to respect that interconnection and live out of that interconnection and be sensitive to it. And it's not something we can just fix. It is a practice. It is something that we work with on a moment-to-moment, daily basis. So the Buddha could become awakened because of the specific karma of his life and time, of his personal life, of the times of his life. And his awakening showed him that all things are without a fundamental fixed self. All things are impermanent. All things are conditioned. And yet what you're awakening to is not conditioned, is permanent in the sense that it is unborn and undying. It is fundamental to who you are. So there's two truths here that the Buddha was taught out of. There's a relative truth, which obviously is conditioned. A coming and going, a world of desire, which we all live in, a world of suffering. And there's the fundamental truth that we are unborn and undying. And that fundamentally all things are empty of a self-existence. Daito Roshi wrote a book, Two Arrows Meeting in Midair, was the title of it. And it's a Zen phrase. And it's the unification of these two truths, the relative and the absolute truth. The fundamental truth and the relative truth of being a human being and having desires and living and dying. And so these two hours meet. Where do they meet? Where do they meet? Well, I can give you the intellectual and verbal answer. They meet in you. But realizing that is the awakening. Is the awakening. So from the fundamental truth of non-duality, of wholeness, of emptiness, however you wish to express it, of the unity of all things, of things as they are, of, the, of no narrative, we step into this world of a narrative. 
of conditions. And that was true in the Buddha's time, and it's true in our time. And in his talk last week, Roshi looked at this from the perspective of, uh, of women, and the gender, race, and um, took it forward to this day right here. So when you look back at the Buddha's time, given his time in India, the Buddha was working with the conditions and causes that he had. And women had no power, for the most part. And so the Sangha was made up of men. The monastics were men. And Ananda came to him. It was Ananda, right? Ananda came to him and said, I'm not sure this makes sense. I'm saying it in colloquial English. You know, can women realize themselves? And the Buddha knew from his own realization that, of course, women can realize themselves. Every human being can realize themselves. So why can't they be part of the Sangha? And the Buddha said, no, because of causes and conditions, because of the effect he felt that that would happen. That's cultural. That's within his context. And Ananda came to him again and asked again. And Ananda came to him again and asked again. And finally, the Buddha got it, that yes, there is challenges. But yes, everybody has their inherent nature. And everybody can realize themselves. So he said, yes, but he put special conditions on it. And those special conditions led to big trouble over time. They're relative conditions. They led to justification by the male monastics and scholars why women should not be, cannot be enlightened, or why they have to have these special rules because they're women and because they're women. And that's been justified and held up, and so on and so forth, through the present time. Well, we know for ourselves that women can realize it, because we have a lineage of women who've realized themselves, and we have women teachers who've realized themselves, and we receive the teachings from women teachers. But the two realities have not yet merged. They haven't merged in society, they haven't merged in Buddhism, and they haven't merged in us. And this is our work. And Shugen Roshi pointed at this very distinctly. He was using the example of the, the, the lack of a full merger in terms of gender, but that's not the only place. So another obvious place is race. And when they're not fully merged, when the two arrows are not meeting, that's suffering. That is suffering. And this is what we're here to address. This is a white sangha, pretty much. A white-oriented, fairly middle-class sangha. There are people of color here. There are people of color in this room. But basically, this is a white, fairly male-oriented sangha. That's not going to work. That creates suffering. So here's a 70-year-old patriarchal male acknowledging this. Where is that in you? Where is that suffering in you? It's there, regardless of your gender, regardless of your race. It's there because this is the society we are swimming 
in. This is the water we're in. This is what we're, this is our culture. This is our karma. And the question is, what are we going to do about it? So when I say we, what are we as a sangha going to do about it? But much more importantly, what what am I going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? And doing something is possible because the two hours do meet in midair, fundamentally. And that's what this practice is. So this is an entrance, more than an entrance, to beginning to address where we together as a sangha and individually are creating suffering. Reverend Angel Angel Kyoto Williams said, in in referring to this, there is something dying in our society, in our culture, and that something is dying in us individually. And what it is dying, I think, is the willingness to be in denial. We have been in denial. I can't see the effect of my whiteness or maleness on others because that's all I've known. And when it's pointed out to me, am I receptive and open and very willing to address it? What do you think? When, it's po- when your limitations are pointed out to you, are you receptive and open and very willing to address it? We don't even know how to address it. We're afraid. The answer is no, I'm not willing to address it. So then I ask myself, and I hope you ask yourself, what does my life rest on? It rests on our vows, our bodhisattva vows, that all beings should awaken, that all beings should be free of desire, that all beings should realize their inherent wholeness. So she went on to say, this denial, which is dying, is extraordinary. It's always been happening, and when it happens in enough of us, in a short enough period of time at the same time, then you have a tipping point, and the culture begins to shift. And then when I feel people, when I, when I feel like people, where I feel people are at now is, no, no, bring it on. I want to see it. I really want to see it. I have to face it. We have to face it. We as a sangha have to face it. We as individuals have to face it. So, do you want to speak to how we're beginning to look at that a little bit? Okay. Um, So, just in addition, so when we read the stories, you know, we should know that there's truth and there's falseness within them as we hear the narratives, um, as we take them in. So that's what's been um, passed on. Um, And... You know, we have these different ways that we can uh, study um, these ancestors through um, understanding the precepts, the moral and ethical teachings, through the body. So, so much of, you know, I was reading um, this one author, um, <clears throat> Resma Menachem, who um, spoke about this wordless story that's passed on through our body. Um, you know, different kinds of, of trauma and um, that that is we don't even have a language for, but it's 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 inside of us. He says our bodies exist in the present. The power and freedom of our mind is we can go to the past 
and the future, daydream and fantasize. But for this body, there is only now, with all its history contained. The conflicts we experience in our bodies as a nation are anything but recent. Centuries old, this battlefield in our bodies, and it is within our mind. But majority is trapped in our bodies that we need to come to resolution with. For this country of ours is an unavoidable time of reckoning. As Hogan was saying, it must be faced no longer as denial and option. Um, So we'll be studying this through um, the art practice. um, And what what we'll be doing there is um, taking up this phrase. Hold on, let me find, here it is. Actualizing Buddha ancestors means to bring them forth and look at them in veneration. It is not limited to Buddhas of the past, present, and future, but it is is going beyond Buddhas who are going beyond themselves. I'm saying what Hogan wrote. It is taking up those who have maintained the face and eye of Buddha ancestors, formally bowing and meeting them. They have manifested the virtue of the Buddha ancestors, dwelt in it, and actualized it in the body. So we'll be drawing upon the readings of the Buddha ancestors, the Jataka tales, the Theragata, which is the original, the enlightenment poems of, of the women in India. These are all posted online There's that you can uh, get, and excerpts um, of some of the Buddha's disciples reflecting on those who have come before us. Their humanity, their struggles, their delusions, that gets passed on, all of it. Their dedication and teachings, how their delusion is our delusion, their liberation is our liberation, and their Buddha nature is our Buddha nature. You are like this, I am like this. All the ancestors in India were like this. So in our creative work, how do we bow and meet them? Express our own experience of that, our felt sense of the living realities within ourself as a student of the way. This might be taking the form of an expression of gratitude, Not what it looks like, but what does it feel like, that expression. The commonality of delusions and insights, that is, I am like this, you are like this too. All the ancestors were like this. So that's what we'll be um, working on. Huinang asks Nanyu, what is it that has come like this? Nanyu said, to say it's like something, misses it. The, the sixth answer, who's Hui Nang, said, does it depend upon practice and enlightenment? Nanyu said, it's not that there's no practice and enlightenment, it's just we should not be defiled by them. The sixth answer said, just this non-defilement is what Buddhas have maintained and transmitted. You are like this, I am like this. All the ancestors in India were like this.
you know, what strikes me is that it's never been any different than it is now. You know, there's, there's the enlightened teachers and ancestors and practitioners who are working to address their suffering within a particular culture which carries all of the delusions and realizations that Hojin Sensei spoke of. And we are heir to that as we practice. And so it's really time to do our job in this generation, to do our best to address this. And it's, it's not a matter that it's... Um, that we're trying to get to a goal or trying to fix anything or arrive at a certain place. We just do it. We just investigate it. And that's the crucial thing, to do it. Hojin Sensei mentioned the, the posted online readings. They include also readings from the Beyond Fear of Differences group, which is an active way that the MRO is working and that which shortly, but we're working on how to do this, will be available to all the practitioners here. We're not quite sure how to do this in a way that's skillful yet, but we're learning. Um, So those readings um, are really crucial. Um, For example, why your liberation is bound up with mine. A talk and question and answer with Reverend Angel Kyoto Williams, who's been here, who's taught here. Uh, my favorite one is Men Explain Things to Me by Rebecca Solnit. And if you've ever read that book, and I've studied that book, is a remarkable story that it opens with, which I can identify as the man in that story. Yes, there's a living book right here. <laughs> right. <laughs> hmm. Oh, okay. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. You know, I like to think of the ancestors as, as also... Um, uh, needing employment, you know, um, <laughs> and they they still need to work th- things out through us. Um, you know, my ancestors um, made a lot of mistakes, and I'm living with that. Hopefully, to learn from that. So we're employed; they're still employed to work things out, um, both in our in our lineage and that tradition, and the things that have happened with within that. Um, for us to see what those delusions were and 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 learn from them, um, recognize them. So everyone's employed. the The past uh, comes into the present moment in a living body, in a human form, in our form. It's not it's not dead. It's a flowing um, reality. That mind to mind. Um, you're receiving the transmission right now. Um, as soon as you enter into training, and um, and this will then go out into your your work, into your family, into everything that we're we're involved in. So um, let's let's keep the employment uh, going. So there are some specific activities of Ango that is specific to Ango. Um, and they're happening both at the monastery and here, and actually also elsewhere in New Zealand, for example, but perhaps you won't be able to make that, although I know there's at least one person in this audience who might, because so, they'll be in New Zealand. Um, 
So one is um, at the monastery next week. Wild grasses? Yes. <laughs> Do you want to say anything about it? <laughs> um, so wild grasses is um, it's our fourth session that's just for those who identify as women. And uh, we create a space that uh, we practice in together. And um, it's just um, a, a, a way of exploring um, this identity with this particular body and how we do things together. And ways in which, for me, um, coming from sort of a patriarchal lineage, um, how, do, how, how, are, how have those things been helpful? How have they been um, not fitting in a way? Um, but yet there's something within what they're pointing to that can be um, useful and maybe shifted a bit. So we explore that together in, in, in our retreat. It's from Thursday to Sunday. So looking forward to that one. So at the monastery of three session, one each month. Um, uh, so the week long, some of them you can join later. Uh, there are two Zazenkai here at the temple. Uh, one in um, September, next week, and one in October. There are uh, monastery retreats uh, on the weekend. There are temple retreats here. Um, there are half-day sits, one each month, which is uh, a terrific entry point if you've not done longer practice. Uh, there's fusatsus, both at the monastery and here. And I just want to interject, there's a fusatsu that um, you may be aware of scheduled for this Thursday here. Um, but um, we're going to um, have a visit by Roshi uh, Galen Godwin, who's the abbot of the Houston Zen Center. Abbess. Abbot is her term. Abbess. Oh, abbot. she's his abbot? Yes. Okay. Uh, of the Houston Zen Center. Um, she's um, within the Soto lineage, as we are, and she's coming to spend a few days with us. And as part of that, She's um, volunteered to offer a, a teaching, a, a mando, this Thursday night in place of the fusatsu. Great. And I would hope you would come and support our sangha and turn out so she has people that she can work with. And so a mando is that she'll offer a teaching, which is going to be related to the ango, and then offer a question and answer. And you can ask her anything. So it's a precious opportunity because a respected teacher from within the Soto Zen lineage, but not within the MRO lineage, is coming here. She, she received transmission within the Suzuki Roshi lineage from San Francisco. Uh, she's also done a considerable amount of other training uh, outside that lineage. So she's, she's been there, done that. And her center is in many ways a mirror of this center. So she's very familiar with lay practice. Uh, so that's this Thursday. It'll be the, the notes will go out, the email notes will go out. And if you're not signed up, please give us your email. Um, probably tomorrow, uh, noting that. Uh, but there are other uh, fusatsus as well. Um, there's uh, Buddhist study sessions uh, here. We're going to look at the... Um, uh, Jataka tales, 
Um, and in fact, next Sunday, I'm intending, we'll see how it goes, to do a mondo on one of the tales. And so that's a good opportunity because the tale is, is read, and then we could explore it. And um, it's, it's a very different way of teaching and receiving the teachings and exploring that these tales are, come from the previous lives of the Buddha. And in some ways, they're folk tales and story tales. Um, but there's a teaching in them that's profound. Uh, before the Buddha was the Buddha. And so um, I hope you'll join us as in this academic study of these. It's not truly academic. It's, it's a, a deep, it's not intellectual, uh, but it's interesting because of the forms of the teaching. Um, there's, on the website, you may notice there's video conferences, mandos also, for those who can't be at the temple, um, which are very popular. Uh, and all of the teachers uh, participate in them to one extent or another and um, present uh, a mando. Um, a couple other things. You don't have to be a student to sign up for Ango, to participate in Ango. And I wanted to mention, we've been going back and forth with this for a while. Traditionally, other than in Zazenkai and Sashin's, Non-students do not have immediate access to face-to-face teaching, to Daisan and Doksan. Um, but, uh, and, and that's been noted by practitioners here, by non-student practitioners. And, you know, just look around. There are many more non-student people than student people. That doesn't mean their practice is in any way inferior or that the student's practice is superior. There are people who practice in as dedicated way as could be who are not students. So that's an individual decision, and it's not a requirement to to practice here in any way. Um, But we do generally reserve face-to-face teaching for those people who've made that commitment to a teacher, to the teachings of the MRO. And that's just fair, that, that they have access to their teacher and the, the other teachers as well. Um, but it does leave out the practitioners who are not who have not made that commitment, but are still practicing, and practicing here in a dedicated way. So after a lot of thought, there's going to be a few times during this ANGO when face-to-face teaching will be offered to um, ANGO participants. So those people who have actually signed up for ANGO um, and those signups are on the web, and there's specific uh, form to fill out. And, you know, often, you, perhaps universally, you'll have questions about that, and we're happy to help you um, uh, look at those questions. Also, you don't need to be a formal participant in the ANGO to do ANGO. You can do it appropriate to wherever you are and whatever you can do to it. And the form that you fill out is a commitment form, but it's also understood it's in the relative world. And we're, we're, so it should be realistic um, and, and appropriate to your life in, in applying for ANGO. So in the notes, uh, two, three or so times will be a notice when face-to-face teaching will be offered uh, for ANGO participants who are not students. Um, I suspect it's going to be on a Friday and or Saturday night. So there is that. Um, 
but that is to to preserve the ability of formal students to be seen, um, because again, that's just fair. So you might have to give up something uh, to be here on a Friday or Saturday night. Nevertheless, we're here. <laughs> so I'll just end yeah. with um, Dogen's uh, talk on the first day of the practice period, Ango. As he lifted up his whisk, he said, peaceful dwelling is to study this thoroughly. Bit by bit, from moment to moment, make each moment of this practice period the crown of your skull. Don't regard this as the beginning of your practice. Don't regard this as going beyond. Even if you see this as the beginning, kick over, kick away the beginning. Even if you see this as going beyond, stomp on it, stomp out going beyond. Then you are not bound by beginning or going beyond. How is it? Within this nest, dwell peacefully. Thanks so much for listening. Please join us on October 6th at the Zen Center of New York City for Our Lineage of Spiritual Friends, a day-long retreat with Mark Finn. For details or to find out more about ZCNYC programs, visit our website at zmm.org slash zcnyc.